Welcome to Sober Discussions. This is Steve and Mike, and sometimes you just need to take out the trash. All right, hello and welcome to our second episode of Sober Discussions. I've heard some feedback and also personally wanted to cover this topic. So we bring the topic of the vice presidential debate. Uh, when I initially watched it, I had, I guess what you could call it, emotional outbursts. Uh, I found a pretty good uh, audio clip of a few topics uh, the Washington Post uh, has already covered, and also uh, their opinions as well. Uh, we'll definitely cover the portions. Uh, also, it's a two-minute clip. Uh, I was glad they brought up some of the points, and we'll discuss what I found and tell you uh, our perspective as well. So, uh, starting, Mike, can you please play that clip, if you wouldn't mind? The vice president and the president were informed about the nature of this pandemic. They were informed that it's lethal. They knew and they covered it up. The president said it was a hoax. Okay, so uh, with that video clip, it says Trump was referring to the Democratic talking points in media coverage of the virus, and he did not say the virus itself was uh, a hoax. So it seemed like the Washington Post, in my opinion, was maybe they had their own uh, perspectives of what they were thinking. Um, but it, And we're going to go through in a couple of other segments too a little bit more about it. But okay. uh, since then, uh, from this vice presidential debate, we do know uh, that Donald Trump did get COVID-19. Uh, and uh, that was kind of... Uh, an interesting piece or an anecdote uh, from that. So I don't know if necessarily they were saying that, that he believed that the virus was a hoax or maybe he just didn't take it seriously. I wasn't quite sure what they were getting at. I just wanted your, your perspective on it. I think hoax or not, uh, Trump has taken action. You know, he may have thought it was a hoax in the beginning. He may have changed his right. mind. To, to me, I don't think it really matters because uh, he's taken action and he's done things to try and help the country, you know, fight it. Uh, we obviously haven't done enough because the United States has the most cases. And I'm glad that you brought it up too, Mike, because a friend that's helping us with our blog is actually going to have a link that will be able to show you visually of where the count of COVID is, as far as uh, viruses being uh, infected, uh, deaths, and also a breakdown of the country. So it'll be a cool graph to have, readily accessible if, if anyone's curious. But anyways, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, what you're saying is right now, uh, it was kind of a non-pertinent uh, kind of high point or highlight, in your opinion, would you yeah, say? Yeah, in my opinion, yeah. I, I don't think... Uh, he may have said it was a hoax at one point. He may not have, but right. the, the fact is, like, yeah, like I was saying, he has taken actions, and maybe he took them too late, and maybe right. could have had less problems uh, had he taken action sooner. But uh, yeah, my my opinion is whether he called it a hoax or not at one point, uh, he's now taking action and doing what he can. So. Yeah, that's fair, and, and I guess for the Washington Post backing up your opinion, which which is a very reasonable. Uh, assessment, by the way, it says that he was referring to talking points of media coverage and essentially journalists um, bringing up the stuff uh, that it was more or less fake news, right, that he talks about all the time. I think uh, that's their perspective on it. Uh, coming from what you're saying, um, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, let's go on to uh, the next segment. Now, uh, this is uh, Vice President Pence, ladies and gentlemen. But America, you just heard Senator Harris tell you, on day one, 
Joe Biden's going to raise your taxes. Okay, so uh, based on this article, the Washington Post, that has their own like fact-checking, I guess you'd say, uh, but it says Biden would raise taxes by substantial amount, but not on uh, every American, no matter how you slice it. So uh, looking back on a couple of notes... Uh, after this clip of Harrison Biden uh, campaign, they're going to raise it to everyone. And in my perspective, uh, w if you were money bags, right? Let's just pretend, Mike, if you're money bags for a second. Let's say it took six point two trillion dollars from you. Wouldn't you want that money back? Probably. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Y you probably want it back. So, so my thought of, hey, if I loan my brother two hundred dollars, would I want that two hundred dollars back? Probably. Uh, because we took it from the American people, the only logical way for you to get that money back is by raising taxes. So I really think we're going to see a pike, uh, not just in the Biden administration, but also in the Trump administration as well. But that's just a thought or a perspective for me. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I think taxes raising is just kind of an inevitable thing that's right. just always going to be happening from time to time. Yeah. Um, I know uh, Senator Harris backed herself up in saying that they wouldn't raise taxes for anybody who is not making 400000 dollars a year. Right. Um, if I'm going to be honest, I don't really know what to believe with these debates because people say something, you know, one person will say something and the other person will counter it and say they're wrong. And I don't really know how honest people are with a lot of these debates yeah and, and uh we'll play a couple of clips so near the end i was just thinking about this uh, on our way here uh at the very beginning the the moderator uh has very set rules that people are not to uh interject or interrupt and they had two minutes and i can tell you that didn't happen uh maybe once or twice yeah <laughs> so so i at least wanted to show you uh the beginning portion of that and also uh, near the end, there's actually a, uh, a statement or a question from an eighth grader uh, that was a big takeaway that I personally forgot about until uh, I was driving here. So we'll we'll visit that near the end of the segment. So if you can remind me, uh, I'd be really appreciative. If not, then I guess that's just how it goes. But let's continue on. Uh, this is Harris, and uh, this is what she says. There's a weird obsession that President Trump has had with getting rid of whatever accomplishment was achieved by President Obama and Vice President. For example, they created within the White House an office that basically was responsible for monitoring pandemics. They got away, they, they got rid of it. Okay, so it says, uh, the global health director was folded into a new separate directorate and it was not eliminated. Now, uh, I definitely had a opinion on that and so I did a little bit of research that is certainly up for interpretation uh, I was thinking about the pandemic response team uh, here's why I felt this way also Trump disbanding the World Health Organization uh, which is still doing a lot for this global pandemic as it is so uh, we are looking at this uh, news article from our friends Reuters it's kind of interesting to see uh, something pull up from them so let's, uh, Mike, if you can enlarge that for us. The Trump administration cut staff by more than two-thirds at a key U.S. public health agency operating inside China, 
as part of a larger rollback of United States-funded health and science experts on the ground there leading up to the coronavirus outbreak, Reuters has learned. Most of the reductions were made at the Beijing office of the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and occurred over the past two years, according to the public CDC documents viewed by Reuters and interviewers with four people familiar with the drawdown. The CDC's China hand count has shrunk to around 14 staffers, down from approximately 47 people since President Trump took office in January 2017, the documents show. The four people who spoke on condition of said the losses included, these are weird words, epidemiologists and other health professionals. Reuters partly false claim. Trump fired pandemic response team in 2018. Numerous posts and images circulated on social media make the claim that President Donald Trump fired the entire pandemic response team in 2018. The Global Health Security and Biodefense Unit, responsible for pandemic preparedness, was established in 2015 by Barack Obama's National Security Advisor Susan Rice. The unit resided under the National Security Council, a form of White House personnel that advises the president on national security and foreign policy matters. In May of 2018, the team was disbanded, and its head, Timothy Zimmer, top White House official in the NSC for leading U.S. response against the pandemic, left the Trump administration, the Washington Post reported. There is disagreement against the pandemic, left the Trump administration. There is disagreement over how to describe the changes at the NSC's Directorate of Global Health Security and Biodefense in 2018. The departure of some members due to streamlining efforts under John Bolton is documented. The pandemic response team as a unit was largely disbanded. So was it entirely removed, Mike? No. No, it wasn't entirely removed. But there was definitely a lot of budget cuts. There's definitely a lot of people that are no longer in that response team. And so that made me uh, feel like like that was reasonable. So uh, if we can jump to the next uh, video clip, if you wouldn't mind, Mike. West, uh, annually contributes about $400 million, $500 million to the World Health Organization. Uh, But today the president announced the United States is halting funding because the World Health Organization was too pro-China, must be held accountable. I want to put up on the screen, John, as we continue to discuss this, a tweet that the president himself posted back on January 24th. Watch this. Look at this. China has been working very hard to contain the coronavirus. The United States greatly appreciates their efforts and transparency. It will all work out well, in particular, on behalf of the American people. I want to thank President Xi. Uh, That's what the president said on January 24th. That's a statement from the president on Twitter. And and now he's blaming uh, the World Health Organization for being too supportive of China in those initial days. And, Wolf, you can go back through the president's Twitter feed. And I urge any Trump supporters watching to do so because he tells you not to trust us. So do this yourself. Go back through the president's Twitter feed in those early days. He not only repeatedly praises President Xi, he on several occasions praised him, saying it was working with the United States to try to get to the bottom of this. That being said, again, the president's criticisms of the World Health Organization are quite legitimate. It was flat-footed here. Again, CNN called this a pandemic before the World Health Organization. But this is an attempt by the president to steer you away from his own actions. On January 22nd, he did an interview with CNBC. He was asked, do you think this will be a pandemic? He said, no, no. And he said that was because he thought President Xi was on top of it. He has several times since says he believes China is professionally handling this and praised President Xi. And just think for a second, Wolf, I I could go on and cite many, many examples of this, but just think for a second. Yes, the World Health Organization has a lot of questions to answer about its believing China, about its being slow to call this a pandemic. 
That is a fact, and the president is right about that. But who do you think has the best intelligence about what is happening in China? The World Health Organization or the world's greatest nation? Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Kind of just brings me back to the earlier part of our segment where kind of what I was talking about before that, you know, Trump may have considered it a hoax at first and may not have believed that it was going to become a pandemic and turned out to be wrong. And I think a lot of people out there probably feel like he didn't take it serious enough. And now, of course, it's become a pandemic. And there are still people who think that we need to take more precautions. And then there's people that think we've taken too many precautions. But the numbers are there, you know. The 55% of the entire global cases are in America, which leads us to believe that, you know, we haven't done enough. And, and potentially some of that could be Trump didn't take it seriously. And with somebody in high office like that, it's probably an important thing for him to consider everything seriously that he's doing. And, you know, maybe he felt like he was taking it serious, but just was wrong. You know, I don't really know. Like the, like the execution? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he may have been trying to take it seriously, but he may not have thought that it was going to be a pandemic. And so he didn't think he needed to take it seriously. Oh, no, that's fair. Uh, because I remember uh, a little bit earlier, this article came out, what, in May? Just so we have a, an idea. So this came out May 19th of 2020. So, I mean, we're in mid-October right now. See, there was a lot of stuff that happened between uh, then and now. Uh, May was kind of, if we're remembering back in those charts, is when things started to uh, kind of come down as far as pandemic deaths, too. So I think there was a lot of enragement, too, uh, around that period when this article came out. Um, maybe I didn't put that into consideration uh, when I first was initializing it. So I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, I guess is all that I'm trying to say. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you could um, uh, enlarge this, and I, I can read that section. So, this is from uh, CNN. President Donald Trump announced on Friday from the United States will terminate its relationship with the World Health Organization, a move that has threatened throughout the coronavirus pandemic and one that earned quick criticism from both sides of the aisle because they have failed to make the request and greatly needed reforms. We will be today terminating our relationship with the World Health Organization and redirecting those funds to other worldwide and deserving urgent global public health needs, uh, Trump said. So the president said that the world's needs answered or answers from China on the virus. We must have transparency. So on the same event on Friday, Trump launched a, well, I guess we'll call it a verbal disagreement and a retaliatory measures that basically created us pretty, you'd say, against the World Health Organization. And we didn't make good terms with uh, China as well. Uh, what do you think, Mike? I think that, kind of like they said in that CNN clip we listened to, I, I think part of his actions in doing this might have been trying to cover up the fact that he didn't take it seriously in the right. beginning and he might have been embarrassed or felt like he made the wrong move. Right. And so he didn't want the attention focused on him, but on the World Health Organization or on China. And so he like, started targeting them instead of himself. Deflection, for lack of a better yeah, term, right? Exactly. No, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, thanks, Mike. No, I just wanted to, to hear what 
what your uh, thoughts were on that. Uh, but but it is true. Uh, we did disband from the World Health Organization. Uh, if you remember back in our previous segment, uh, the World Health Organization is still uh, doing a lot of stuff uh, globally with a pandemic, and uh, that obviously was uh, Trump's decision to do that, uh, to no longer be involved with the World Health Organization. Do we agree with it? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that, exactly, right? There's a lot of hearsay. Uh, I, I've heard some other individuals' perspectives, and they're glad that we're not, uh, because there was a lot of what they would say dirty money. Uh, but if we're talking dirty money and the to be determined and uh, the $6.2 trillion uh, care act, I, I don't know, right? So uh, uh, that's kind of what we're looking at right now, but I'm glad that uh, we were able to cover that. So if we can um, scroll out of there, um, uh, change it. Mike, can you read that section for us starting right here? So this is continuing from that same CNN post. Mm. Earlier in his remarks, Trump said that China had not properly reported information it had about the coronavirus to the World Health Organization and said China had pressured the World Health Organization to mislead the world. Deflection. Chinese officials ignored their reporting obligations to the World Health Organization and pressured the World Health Organization to mislead the world when the virus was first discovered by Chinese authorities, Trump said. He also said countless lives have been taken and profound economic hardship has been inflicted all around the globe. So uh, before we go on to that section, Mike, do you remember us uh, going through the timeline of the World Health Organization website? Do you remember that? Was that the chart that went from like beginning of the year to now and it kind of... Yeah, well, well yeah, so... Uh, there's this timeline, and we can even cross-reference that uh, if that's better to jog your memory, but more or less it starts from uh, December 31st of 2019 uh, in Wuhan, China, when there were the 41 cases. documented cases of, I believe they called it a viral pneumonia, right? And then they mobilized January 1st. Well, uh, they had that press conference, I think if on the 14th, I think they had that press conference, so I think they weren't trying to mislead at all. I think uh, that it got downplayed. This this is an explicit a segment. Uh, we're going to put that on uh, Spotify too, but I think that was a bunch of bullshit uh, to do. I, I think that they they didn't take it seriously, and when things really spun out of control, that we had to go and put it on somebody else, like you said. So that's just my opinion on it. But <laughs> When you said they didn't take it seriously, who are you referring to? Oh, the, the Trump administration. Thank gotcha. you, Mike. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. Do I think the World Health Organization took it seriously? I definitely still think they're taking it seriously, for sure. I think that they received a big financial strain. Uh, we're going to look a little bit uh, further in the in another article. Talks about kind of the numbers of a screenshot about what he said specifically about that. But uh, yeah, so so thank you, Mike. Uh, I should have made that a little bit more clear. So okay. thank you for, for clarifying. So uh, we are going to uh, jump down to um, this continuation here. Uh, now this is uh, in Washington Post. And Pence said this. Because we had a president who cut taxes, rolled back regulation, unleashed American energy, fought for free and fair trade, saved 50 million jobs through the Paycheck Protection Program. Okay, so it says, half a dozen economists told Reuters between 1 million and 14 million jobs were saved. Uh, now, I was trying uh, to look into this. Essentially, the Paycheck Protection Plan uh, with tax cuts and quote-unquote 
rolling back regulation. Uh, weird how that keeps being a coincidence. Uh, <laughs> uh, unleashed American uh, energy. Now, in my opinion, you can at least say the first two parts correctly as unleash American, American what? Like we can fill in the blank space. And there's a lot of feelings this year uh, that's fully capable of being able to fill in that, that blank space. Okay, we're uh, unleashing Americans uh, hate, Americans propaganda, Americans uh, right. I mean, there's so many things. Energy. Energy, you know. Anyways, I just thought that was kind of an interesting anecdote uh, in, in that. Uh, anyways, moving on, he also says, uh, fought for fair trade. Uh, okay. Uh, saved millions of jobs, and the Washington Post said, according to Reuters, between 1 to 14 million jobs were saved. So it would be rude not to see uh, what they have to say. Unfortunately, if I'm being honest, I spent a bit of time uh, trying to find that specific article and I couldn't find it from uh, the 1 to 14 million. And to be honest, it was kind of difficult. There was a lot of information. I felt like it was really like uh, flooding. Like there was so much information that it was so difficult for me to find anything. Uh, but what I can say is there is a bit of doom and gloom uh, in that category. And it wouldn't surprise me uh, with all the businesses shutting down and unemployment rates, which I found an article on. Uh, I would like to share this article, and this came out on August 7th this year. Uh, Fortune also included a great video clip, if we can play that. Okay. The CARES Act is an economic stimulus package that was passed in late March, valued at just over $2 trillion. It is the largest single piece of fiscal stimulus that's ever been passed through Congress. The stimulus package impacted the economy on several fronts, provided immediate relief to households in the form of stimulus checks and enhanced unemployment insurance benefits. The enhanced unemployment benefits provided under the CARES Act impacted the economy by providing stabilization of income for households in the early part of the pandemic. Absent those enhanced benefits, uh, labor income declined by several hundred billion dollars in the second quarter of this year. When factoring in those enhanced UI benefits, uh, total after-tax income for households actually increased in the second quarter Moving forward, the most important feature of any unemployment insurance benefits is expanded duration. It's important that the benefit is continued in some way, whether that's the same $600 amount, some reduced level, or a different criteria entirely. Uh, the importance is that that benefit is continued and that workers are able to maintain some level of income and spending. If Unemployment benefits are significantly reduced from current levels. It will cause a serious hit to household finances. It will cause consumers to reduce spending drastically, which will ultimately impact businesses and their ability to survive the pandemic. As the additional cost incurred by the federal government from expanding these benefits, there is some concern that the enhanced UI benefits as currently structured create a disincentive to work for those workers who are earning more on unemployment insurance than they were uh, during their previous employments. This concern has not been proven empirically. Um, most workers are well aware that these benefits will end at some point, and so the risk of turning down gainful employment in exchange for continuing to collect benefits is a risky proposition. At least from what I got from it, uh, we definitely know that some businesses, like we talked about in our previous section, uh, that were able to utilize uh, the CARE Act uh, along with the Paycheck Protection Plan. To an extent, uh, we know that uh, some people are really kind of uh, metaphorically at death's door as far as their business goes because it's been so difficult with the pandemic and so many people are uh, spending money differently. Uh, they're not um, 
able to uh, function the same way that they were before and there's a lot of financial strain with these businesses so it's just really uh, disheartening to see some of these people really getting hurt I certainly wouldn't be surprised uh, if 1 to 14 million uh, were saved from this versus 50 million I mean that's it's a put that into you know quarters I mean that's not even 12.5 percent of what they said people are able to uh, take advantage of so I think that that number alone was disheartening uh, I definitely have some more information uh, from these folks from fortune uh, now this is from the US Bureau of Labor uh, statistics so it's definitely a government entity uh, finds the total number of unemployment Americans stood at 16.3 million in July uh, much improved from the 23.1 million in April is still around three times greater than the one in February uh, when 5.8 million uh, were unemployed and indicates that much hope for you know this uh, this recovery is far from likely so so if we look over here uh, we had some some disparity in 2008 we can see it come up and crest up to you know 2010 down to 2012 2014 2016 uh, is when president uh, donald trump was in office 2018 and this year because of the pandemic you can see this huge spike over 14 percent um in that graph mike do you have any thoughts yeah it looks like like you said in in 2008 to 2010 we had this spike of unemployment kind of go up and we know that, that was a hard time, kind of a, a the recession, recession right, is what we they faced. It, right. And 2020, it spikes even higher than it did then, you know, the rate of unemployment. And that's obviously disheartening and, and not something we want to see. But the good part of that is we see just how drastically it went up. Right at the end of the chart, it's drastically dropping back down. Hopefully that continues, you know, through 2021. And hopefully we can get to the point where people aren't unemployed. But Regardless, the rate of unemployment has gone up high enough that, you know, 14% of Americans unemployed, that whether you have unemployment coming in or not, right? That that's a lot of people to support as Definitely. a nation. And, For uh, sure. A lot of financial strain. I agree. So whether you're getting unemployment or you're not getting unemployment, there's, there's a lot of strain going around and a lot of people struggling. And, and so hopefully we can see these numbers drop. But we do see that it is drastically dropping how much it's going to keep uh -huh. dropping. Right, and if you remember uh, in that uh, video clip that they played, uh, he said that there are definitely people taking advantage of that payment protection program, like we said, the 12.5%. According to Reuters, I, again, I wasn't able to find that specifically, but that was a source uh, that was cited. Uh, it's also on our website, too. Uh, but they said that uh, there's, there's a time limit uh, for people to be able to use this. Know, paycheck protection program and he's like we definitely need to extend it we we definitely have a high uh, unemployment rate and we definitely need to uh, to do something else so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what that means a little bit later uh, but the unemployment rate dropped from 11.1 percent in June to 10.2 percent July as the economy added nearly 1.8 million jobs last month Soundly beating uh, consists estimates equities further and the dollar gained on the news. So uh, that marks a third straight month of solid hiring and falling jobless rate after it topped at 14.7% in April. And that's the highest level uh, since 1940. I guess they got away with it because they said since 1940, 
this is 1933, so they they kind of left out. Like, we definitely were twice as worse off in the Great Depression than we are right now. But I think it is very, very important for us to know that in the Great Depression, it was about 25% on the planet. Right now, we're at 147 So we could make it better. Uh, it also could get worse, right? Like, soon economy that continues to rebound since uh, states began uh, easing lockdowns, the 10.2% rate while still weak comes in far better than the 10.6 consensus estimated of economists compiled by Bloomberg. Uh, the improvement will be good news for the White House, but it's clear it will take years before U.S. labor markets return to the pre-pandemic levels, which I definitely agree. Uh, it's going to take some time for people to uh, be able to get back on top of finances and things. I'm sure a lot of people filed for bankruptcy uh, for medical costs, for financial strain, for, for different things like that anyways. Uh, Mike, can you go to the next section, please? Congress has yet to come to an agreement for extending or replacing the 600 bucks supplement, which paid its final benefit for the week ending July 25th. Democratic and Republican Party leaders are making little progress in their talks for another stimulus package, and enhanced unemployment benefits are among the most disputed negotiating points in the bill. Democrats want the $600 benefit extended through the end of the year, while Republicans want to scale back, arguing that it's so generous it's deterring the jobless from seeking work. The July jobs numbers also show the economic slump is still hitting some communities harder than others. So I, I thought that that uh, section was, was kind of interesting. This next graph, what we're looking at right now, is Americans who permanently lost jobs remain unchanged in July despite overall unemployment falling. So uh, this goes back to the graph. Uh, all it's basically saying is while the numbers of unemployment Americans is going uh, going down, the number of permanently unemployed Americans remain at 2.9 million in July. That number has risen in May and June as employers converted some of their furloughs into layoffs, uh, something that could impede the recovery. So for those of you that don't know what a furlough is, basically they're saying, hey, you still have a job. Uh, we're just gonna kind of put a hold on right now and then we'll pick it up later. Once that furlough took place, then people were like, hey, I, I literally can't even pay you. So then they did layoffs. And the official unemployment rate is 10.2 is likely undercounting the actual level of joblessness from July. The BLS de defines the unemployed as people without jobs who are also looking for new positions. So laid off workers who are receiving unemployment benefits but aren't looking for a job aren't considered unemployed. Port highlights other abnormalities in the labor market. For example, in July, BLS found that 16.3 million Americans were unemployed. However, the U.S. Department of Labor data found 30.5 million were receiving employment benefit uh, that expired in July. So as far as looking at that information, uh, it definitely had some conflicting information. Uh, what we were talking about, TLDR, I definitely believe businesses and families are struggling harder than they ever have before uh, within you know the last 10 years, I think it's safe to say. And it makes me sad, especially to that to be determined uh, that we talked about in that segment of the CARE Act, uh, that they know that the well has dried out and they're trying to do it again, but Trump is planning on yet another uh, stimulus and here's why. So uh, we're looking at this en.as.com. Uh, 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 now this was just posted today, uh, actually, which was kind of interesting. Uh, but the article headline says, uh, Second Stimulus Check Update on U.S. Uh, coronavirus Relief. Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi again uh, going head-to-head -head on COVID-19 financial support uh, with Mitch McConnell aims to get a new bill in the Senate 
uh, for the next week. So here, here's some information. So um, before we read this, I felt like this was just Snapshot 5 Karak 2.0. Um, like when I was looking at it, it's just, you know how you were saying, like, I'm not sure if the U.S. government is going to help a second time. Yep. It definitely seems like it's going to happen. So that was kind of interesting for me to find out today. Anyway, so the screenshot says, we are now just three weeks away from the 2020 presidential election, and there is still plenty of work to be done by both sides if a new stimulus bill is to be agreed before then. Millions of Americans will be hoping that this package includes provisions for a second round of $1,200 stimulus checks that was first issued uh, six months ago. So this uh, headline says, Trump performs drastic U-turn on financial support. So they do say in this uh, screenshot, I quote, they do say that a week is a long time in politics, just seven days after Donald Trump announced via Twitter that he had instructed his negotiators to walk away from the table. He appears to have a new lease of ideas. So he had initially accused leaders of the House, Nancy Pelosi, of negotiating in bad faith and asking for too great of a financial package. But now he appears to get a bigger deal agreed as soon as possible. On Monday, two days ago, said on Monday he called for the Republicans to support a new, more expensive bill, despite in clashing with the party's ideological resistance to large-scale government uh, spending. So the tweet says on October 12th of 2020, so that was two days ago, Republicans should be strongly focused on completing a wonderful stimulus package for the American people. Mike, what do you think? A lot of money. Um, a lot of money. It's a lot of money the first time. <laughs> it's a shitload of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money the first time, and they're going to do it again. I mean, again. Yeah, 2.0, right? Where are they coming up with this money? Dude, that's what I'm saying, man. I literally, like, it has to be tax increases. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. I mean, it's not like we're just going to find buried treasure from the Incas or whatever, right? <laughs> we have tons of gold. We can bail out America now. Like, no way. It's well, gonna... this, this country is already, like, <laughs> in so much debt, you know. Right. There's, there's no way. That's, it's not like they've got this big savings stashed for stuff like let's, this. Uh, let's just for fun look at the national debt clock. Because this is hilarious to me. If we're looking at that... Mike, can you tell us this freaking number that we're looking at right now? $27 trillion. <laughs> so, that number's going to probably go up to 32. I'm sorry. When they go give us $5 trillion more. I, I'm not saying that I'm, like, unappreciative. I'm sure it'll help, but it's like, I don't know. Again. This debt is just going up, and, you know, yeah. that's... that's What's going to happen? Right. Now, look at our, our uh, revenue, right? That's $3 trillion, right? And that's total federal tax revenue. That's insane. I mean, I guess we do have some state revenue, too, right? So that's, what, $5 trillion? So, I mean, uh, if we balance the budgets and everything and we lived within our means, uh, we could uh, get out of debt and, oh, I don't know, let's see. Uh, six nine years. Uh, six to nine years. <laughs> yeah, but you know, <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen, Mike. But anyways, I just thought that was interesting. The article uh, continues that the president has balked at the Democrats' initial 2.2 trillion package uh, when he was presented it last week and refused to go to any higher than 1.6 trillion in financial relief. Days later, however, he has upped it to 1.8 trillion. Uh, and but the Democrat-led House uh, representatives apparently, let me rephrase that, appears unlikely to 
accept any deal below $2 trillion. So the far-reaching political implications of these discussions is no secret, and Pelosi has accused Trump of now attempting to force through any financial support to strengthen his standing before the American uh, head to the... Saying, implying Trump, he only wants his name on a check to go out before Election Day for the stock market to go up. Mike, can you tell us this uh, tweet that we got yesterday from Donald Trump? Stimulus. Go big or go home. Go, go, go. He can go all the way. So it seems like he's pretty uh, down for this new stimulus bill. I wish that instead of to be determined, we were able to have more oversight and maybe we wouldn't have had to have a second package. Um, if we were able to direct it in the appropriate way. Or maybe not. Maybe we did need a second one. I don't know. I'm obviously not a lawmaker. I didn't help write those 900 pages that was in the first CARE Act, but we're going for round two. Uh, continuing, uh, Pence says this, Mike, if you can play this clip. President Trump and I have a plan to improve health care and to protect pre-existing conditions for every American. So this says pre-existing conditions are already protected under the Affordable Care Act. The Trump administration is aiming to overturn it. So this is just totally up for interpretation, guys. But let's be honest, at least in my perspective, if you are going to create a new plan, Trump uh, health care bill, wouldn't you be taking over that? So, I mean, more or less you are saying, hey, we're no longer doing uh, this Affordable Health Care Act. We've got a new thing rolling out. I can see why uh, they're saying that they're trying to take it over. Um, they definitely could have maybe worded that differently, but that's definitely up for interpretation. Uh, Mike, if you can read the section, please. Yeah, so we're now uh, coming over to CNN, uh, their perspective of highlights that uh, they picked from the vice presidential debate. For our fellow American, on October 8th, CNN put up a post, and uh, here it says, Vice President Mike Pence and California... Senator Kamala Harris faced off Wednesday night in their 2020 election campaign in Utah. The debate covered more topics than last week's Trump-Biden showdown, but overall, the debate ultimately was about Trump. We asked our viewers around the country for their reaction to the debate, and here's what they said. Steve from Tennessee says that Mike Pence won hands down. Kamala Harris's smirks and scowling and shaking her head when Pence was stating facts she knew were true was unbecoming at best. She ducked too many questions, including packing the court and Biden's health or lack thereof. Robin Edwards from Logan County, Kentucky said, Vice President Pence acted as if he was the superior person on the stage. He seemed to look down on the two women involved. Then when it was over, his wife stripped off her mask. As head of the COVID task force, you'd think he would act with some sense. Vice President Pence acted like his boss, only with more polished words that were not true. He needs to stop the lying. And Nathaniel Kane from Cincinnati, Ohio said, While both candidates were equal in debate style, Harris, in my opinion, won on the one attribute that decided the 1960 TV debate between Kennedy and Nixon, physical appearance. Harris was calm, smiling, and acted very professional while speaking directly to the American people, as well as to Pence and Page. Pence, on the other hand, looked a bit uncomfortable, had a bloodshot eye, and had a fly land on his hair for two minutes. So while the issues were important to discuss, their appearance could not be any more different. Uh, the reason why I have this available uh, is just so that our readers can look at uh, individuals' uh, perspectives okay. of what they believed uh, to be for the debate. I thought that was really cool that CNN had a platform that people could 
like kind of voice their opinion to where anybody could see, you know, what, what they had to say. If we go down here, uh, I was able to find a video. Uh, again, we are on the CNN uh, segment. Uh, but this is a journalist uh, on the vice presidential debate. Mike, if you can uh, play that for us. Look, neither candidate really answered most of the questions in the vice presidential debate this week. We could have learned a lot that we did not. But there was one particular response from Vice President Pence that would have embarrassed even Pinocchio. The climate is changing. The issue is, what's the cause and what do we do about it? President Trump has made it clear that we're going to continue to listen to the science. It's not clear. It's not clear at all. And it's not true. For instance, climate change, which exists and is a problem, according to science. So Obama's talking about all of this with the global warming and that a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. <laughs> I mean, money-making industry, okay? It's a hoax. A lot of it. More evidence according to an extensive database of attacks on science compiled by the nonprofit Union of Concerned Scientists. The Trump administration has reversed or revoked nearly 70 Obama-era environmental initiatives with many more in the works. They've stopped studying or releasing data or scientific opinions on farm pollution, how truck pollution affects kids, and how some toxic chemicals affect American workers who use them. The president pulled out of the U.S. Parrot, uh, pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement to combat global warming. He's eviscerated the Endangered Species Act and drained scientific expertise from agencies across the U.S. government. You likely remember when he rebuffed his government meteorologists by drawing on their map with a sharpie to extend a hurricane forecast zone into Alabama because he had said it would be affected, even though scientists did not. According to Axios, he once inquired about nuking hurricanes, dropping nuclear weapons on them, <laughs> showers, and toilets. People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. They end up using more water. So EPA is looking at that very strongly, at my suggestion. And if Trump's quixotic approach to science is too subtle, there's his almost constant refrain on wind energy. We don't like that building. The windows are too large. Oh, okay, let's rip it down and build a new one. What windows are you gonna have? We're not gonna have windows anymore. Environmental. So it's, uh, you know, they love wind too, right? The big windmills, the, the, I always say, the greatest graveyard in the world for birds. Just walk under a windmill. You will see more dead birds than you will ever imagine. What's happening, including eagles, you know? <laughs> if you shoot a bald eagle, right? You go to jail, right? These windmills are knocking them out of the sky all day long. It's unbelievable. And yet they want wind. And wind also is very, it's very hard to store the electricity from wind. So if you go home and you want to watch television because President Trump is on and you want to watch one of his very brilliant State of the Union addresses, if the wind isn't blowing, the husband looks at the wife and says, Darling, I'm sorry, you can't watch tonight. The wind is not... According to the Fish and Wildlife Service, cats remain the biggest threat to birds. Windmills are farther down the list behind coal, oil, and power lines. On this of COVID-19, who could forget this one? And then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that? Injection inside or... or Almost a cleaning. <laughs> He's promoted unproven drugs, <laughs> non-scientists, edited or slow-rolled CDC reports. They altered testing guidelines so they were less scientific 
they pushed the CDC to make their school reopening guidelines less scientific so they would fit the president's false rhetoric on why it's safe for kids to all go back to school in person. And after scientists and vaccine makers vowed to take the necessary precautions on vaccines, he baselessly said it was because of politics, not science, when it's actually the reverse. His rush on a vaccine is clearly because of politics and not science. Mind you, this list that we've gone through here is far from exhaustive. And when it comes to Trump's reputable scientific advisors, he dismisses and undermines them. Dr. Redfield confirmed that it looked like November, December, the first doses would be able to be distributed. But then he said that the vaccine for the general public likely would not be available until probably next summer, maybe even early fall. I think he made a mistake when he said that. It's just incorrect information. Dr. Fauci's made some mistakes. He's a little bit of an alarmist. That's okay. A little bit He's of an alarmist. Bit of, I'm an alarmist. A little bit of an alarmist. Dr. Fauci at the beginning said, this will pass. Don't worry about it. This will pass. He was wrong. Sometimes Trump likes to play scientist on television, pretending that he's better qualified to opine about science than real scientists. Here's what he said during a visit to the CDC back in March. Every one of these doctors said, how do you know so much about this? Maybe I have a natural ability. He also played scientist on the ground in California in the midst of record-setting wildfires, refusing to acknowledge the science that climate change contributes to wildfires. It'll start getting cooler. I wish, you, just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> well, I don't think science knows, actually. Oh, science knows all right. That's literally the whole point of science. So that clip... Yeah. Obviously, the whole time they're just kind of trying to put a smackdown on on Trump right. and on on what Pence said that you know they're focused so much on science. But right. I want to focus on what was said at the beginning of that clip. Please. Uh, she said that there were a lot of questions that were asked and hardly any of them got answered directly. Correct. But you know, and in, in, instead they were just kind of smack talking each other, which is kind of what happens at debate. And uh, I really appreciated that because. In my opinion, if they just answered the question straight rather than smack talk each other, I think we'd have a lot better idea what they actually stand for right. and uh, what's actually factual. And, and I think it would be a lot more effective and a lot more uh, helpful for the, the nation if they just answered questions instead of just tried to attack each other. But if they answered it, then, you know, they'd be held accountable for that, right? And if we can do smoke and mirrors and cloak and dagger, then, you know, we, we can say something and then not be held accountable for it. It because we didn't exactly say that, right? <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, you got a point there. <laughs> uh, anyways, so I thought that that article uh, was pretty interesting. Uh, whether you agree with that or not, uh, that was uh, comments and quotes uh, from that. I thought that that was uh, some some good information. Uh, I also did want to mention a funny, haha, honorable mention to some that might even have propaganda brewing or even conspiracy theories. Uh, but in this debate, there is a fly on Pence's hair. Uh, here's a quick meme. Uh, you can find it on our blog as well. Mike, can you say what that says? Mike Pence celebrates bringing your pet to work day. Yeah, <laughs> your little pets at work, you know, and have your fly, whatever, right? So, um, the fly on his head, right? I'm really not going to cover it. It's available on our blog. I'd really, really, really prefer to uh, continue on to our next segment. Uh, this Now, so this is uh, Fox News. So, 
if we're thinking about Fox News, we're thinking very heavy conservative. We're thinking a lot of people with very uh, conservative ideals. So I wanted to cover uh, kind of what Glenn Beck thought, mainly because I was really hoping I could find a really good article uh, from Fox News. Unfortunately, I really didn't find a whole lot. Uh, I actually found a lot more about Paul Ryan. Uh, There's also some, some other stuff about hard drives and things that was extremely unpertinent uh, to that, but that was in the search engines. So, but anyways, uh, I was able to find this. This is what Glenn Beck said. Uh, Mike, if you can uh, play the, uh, the video clip, please. Last night, uh, Mike Pence did such a great job about talking about the economy. He kept bringing it back to the economy, which is the number one thing people concerned about. And, you know, when, when Obama said, there's no magic wand, you know, the, the, the press, last night, uh, Mike Pence did such a great job about talking about the economy. He kept bringing it back to the economy, which is the number one thing people are concerned about. Uh, Barack Obama said, there's no magic wand. They're not going to, they're not going to be able to create all of these jobs. I knew that was wrong. And you knew that was wrong because you believe in the American people. They they do not remember you didn't build this. They believe the government is the reason jobs are created. I believe, and you believe, that government is the problem, not the solution. We are going to go back to draconian regulation beyond what President Obama had. The press is covering for it. And the reason why is because they believe orange man bad and they believe in what these Marxist revolutionaries want to do. It's why they're covering for Antifa, because anything that helps their cause, uh, they support. They are not going to say, for instance, about fracking, because they know that will hurt the vote in Pennsylvania. It will hurt the vote in Ohio, and they can't do anything to hurt the vote, so they'll just leave it alone. They won't necessarily deny it. They'll just leave it alone. They'll leave it out. It's exactly what they're doing with the CIA papers or the uh, all of the uh, investigation papers from the... The investigation of um, of RussiaGate. Have you noticed they're not reporting on it? They just—it's a sin of omission. As they are committing crimes of commission, they are also committing the same kind of crimes of omission. They're not talking about court packing today. That was the biggest part of the debate. That was the most stunning part of the debate. Do you know what the New York Times reported today? The New York Times reported at the very end of their uh, digest of, of the debate, they got into court packing. But here was their spin. Donald Trump has appointed so many lower court judges that he has packed the lower courts. And so many believe that the only way to balance this out is to pack the Supreme Court. So even though Donald Trump, Barack Obama left, what was it, 1,500 judgeships open? It was some ungodly sum that he just didn't care. He just didn't appoint them. So Donald Trump, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, they got together and they have filled all of those and he's still filling them. That's not packing. That's just not leaving it empty. It's definitely Your job packing. as president is to appoint <laughs> judges to lower courts and to the higher court. That's a consequence of an election. Barack Obama left all those judgeships open. I guess he shouldn't have. It was his choice. <laughs> they were 
they were absolutely out of control on what they were doing then. So now you see the media already softening the ground. If anybody doesn't think that they're going to pack the court, they're going to. Of course they are. I don't, I don't even know if people know what that means anymore. But for 150 years, we've had nine Supreme Court justices. They will take it up to 12, 13, 14, 11, doesn't matter, until they get the majority and they get their way. That makes that's a rubber stamp. They stopped FDR. He was the only one that's ever tried to do this. And the American people became outraged. Now, I don't think the American people are going to get outraged over this. But that is a rubber stamp for the president. Whatever they want, they will get passed in the Supreme Court. That's why you don't rubber stamp it. That's why you don't pack a court. But I... You're not going to get this from the mainstream media. You're not going to get the truth on fracking. You're not going to get the truth on the Green New Deal and the jobs that that will cost. The choice is so clear. I've never seen it this clear. This is, this is the clear choice that I wanted 10 years ago. I wanted somebody just to, look, if you're for Marxism, great, let's have that debate. They're for Marxism. They're telling you. Nobody's correcting any of this stuff. They, well, they, they don't have a problem. They're not in hiding anymore. Are we so asleep that we're just going to accept this? Anyways, Mike, what do you think about that? So, packing and fracking, what do those mean? Okay, so packing, uh, basically, more or less, so we're a bipartisan system as of right now, right? You got Democrats, you got Republicans. Yep. Basically, there was uh, a lot of amount of people in open spots, and Barack Obama, uh, according to this information from Glenn Beck, said that there were a number of vacancies. The Republican Party definitely filled it uh, in that, into where uh, if you look at courts, they are definitely appointed by uh, spaces available. Right. So that's packing. packing. Right, that's packing. Fracking, uh, I am extremely, extremely confident. Let's definitely edit this later. Uh, but if we look at fracking, I am pretty confident that that is oil drilling. And so packing, they meaning that they're hiring uh, people for their party so that they can get what they want. Yeah, exactly. Packing so that they can have their derivative for them to do that. Uh, Glenn Beck also said, well, with the Supreme Court justice, we have nine uh, uh, representatives. Uh, we had definitely look this lady up too. Yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, just died on September 18th. So a lot of this discussion is about um, who they're putting in office. So, so we kind of got a 50-50 right now. So uh, on the left side, actually, this is a good transition to the next clip anyways. But essentially, uh, they're saying, uh, Democrats saying, hey, uh, we're during this election uh, right now. Let's definitely wait for the election uh, for who's going to be elected to uh, give the nominee. Uh, Trump did appoint a Supreme Court justice, and her name is Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, so he more or less was saying that she uh, was a very good fit for the position, uh, that she was uh, highly respected. Uh, on the left, we'll say that they definitely want to uh, wait for the election. Uh, I don't know if that's so that they can have a chance uh, to put in the Supreme Court. And I think that's what Glenn Beck was trying to say, is that they'll just try to get whoever they want. And then on the right, they're like, hey, uh, Trump is still in power. We definitely have the capability to nominate any individual because if they died during our administration, we should be able to choose who we want to. So that's kind of where we're at. But yeah, as far as the fracking point, yeah, it's just oil drilling and stuff like that. Um, kind of where we're at right now uh, with this quote-unquote Green New Deal. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please look it up too. 
Um, I don't necessarily have it covered. I wasn't anticipating to uh, get more in depth about this, but uh, essentially they're trying to get more renewable jobs and less uh, consumer energy just because of the concerns of climate change. Uh, so so that, that's kind of like the, the idea of moving forward uh, between fracking and oil drilling and things like that. I think we're still going to. Obviously, no one's going to be able to just go to the store and pick up uh, Tesla and everyone's just driving, you know, renewable energy uh, vehicles. Like we're definitely going to have oil. I mean, I drive a 2006 uh, Ford 500, <laughs> so it's definitely going to be running on fuel for a while. Uh, anyways, uh, what do you think, Mike? Um, so now, okay, so going back to what Glenn was saying, he's saying that uh, that Pence is packing, or that Trump is packing, based no, on the bait? he's saying he's not packing because there there were those spots available. And so he's just filling in those spots available because he's in power. And according to Glenn Beck, he said that that's the Democrats' fault for not filling it. Personally, I think that if Democrats were in that situation and they were putting that in, I think that likely Republicans would be pretty torqued that they were filling in those uh, slots. I'm not sure if that's the reason why or what that might be. I honestly haven't researched that. Okay. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we've definitely had the Trump administration put in a lot of individuals in the court system because there were uh, spaces available. And the biggest one was the death from uh, Ginsburg uh, because she was a real proponent in uh, women's rights and lots of other things moving forward. And so uh, they're just concerned of things going backwards instead of forwards. And so they're hiring to... That, 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 that's the, the, the um, uh, I guess you'd say, hypothesis. Gotcha. Or, I mean, it, it's not all, you know, 100% fact at this point. It's just a lot of um, smoke and mirrors kind of at this point. So now Glenn Beck is saying, sorry, I'm just trying to understand what he meant. Um, so he's talking about packing, mm-hmm. and, um, and he's said that the choice is clear. I'm not following... Is he saying that it's good that the packing is happening or bad? He's saying that there's a very definitive moment for American history uh, to to make the right choice of voting for Donald Trump and the Republican Party and a very non-appropriate point of voting for uh, Biden because he called the Marxists, uh, mentioned uh, Antifa, uh, all these different... Um, organizations. Now, when we talk about Antifa in the presidential debate, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, watch that if you're interested, but the presidential debate, uh, it was talked about uh, denouncing uh, white supremacists, right? And so Trump had this thing where he said, uh, proud boys, stand down and stand by, uh, which is kind of a very uh, right-wing extremist type group. Uh, which is kind of interesting, um, but the on the left, like they, they were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter with these rights and protests, and and if you look into it, please everyone do your your research on that. But uh, there were several statistics that were showing that a lot of the looting and a lot of those things aren't even people from that uh, city or state. Uh, they're definitely coming from out of town and being uh, what Rise Against would call shameful opportunists. Anyways. Uh, Antifa, um, just to, to set records straight, it's an ideal. I know that some people say that uh, Antifa is like this 
this uh, organization. I think what they're referring to, Mike, is the autonomous zone. And we can look at, do you want to see what the autonomous zone is? Have you heard anything about it? Uh -uh. So that one's really interesting. When we're looking at the autonomous zone, this is in Seattle, which is absolutely crazy. So they took over a precinct, right? A bunch of these looters and people, and they created their own like no man's land, right? Hmm. So they call it uh, Capitol Hill organization protests, they call it CHOP. So this happened in June 9th of 2020. Um, there were a lot of police officers that, that were trying to uh, basically combat this, National Guard too. And basically they're just like, hey, like we'll just kind of leave you guys alone. So uh, they're, they're referring to this as Antifa. I wouldn't say that's Antifa. I'm going to call them just extremists. Like no matter what, you shouldn't take over a precinct, a police officer precinct, shouldn't take over people's homes. That's that's not Antifa. That's just a bunch of you know. Uh, the, the term Antifa is anti-fascism, um, basically saying if you see fascism, then you're against it. That's what Antifa means. Got it. So, anyways, we've, we've got a history lesson. Autonomous zone. Glad I was able to bring that up. Uh, lots of crazy stuff, man. Um, definitely, ladies and gentlemen, research uh, the autonomous zone. Uh, it's kind of crazy if you haven't heard of it. But anyways, I talked to an individual who is a supporter of the Republican Party and has been in the Republican Party since registration. Uh, they told me their biggest takeaway from the debate was packing the Supreme Court. Kind of heard that a little bit from uh, Glenn Beck. So I was able to find this clip uh, in this segment. Mike, if you can please play this, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vice President Pence and Vice President Kamala Harris. The president says... President Trump says that he's going to protect people with pre-existing conditions, but he has not explained how he would do that. And that was one of the toughest nuts to crack when they were passing the Affordable Care Act. So tell us specifically, how would your administration protect Americans with pre-existing conditions, have access to affordable insurance if the Affordable Care Act is struck down? Well, uh, thank you, Susan. But let me just say, addressing your very first question, I couldn't be more proud to serve as vice president to a president who stands without apology for the sanctity of human life. I'm pro-life. I don't apologize for it. And this is another one of those cases where there's such a dramatic contrast. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris support taxpayer funding of abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. Late Mike, um, sorry to interrupt. Um, she asked a pretty direct question, right? Would you say that he's given a very direct answer at this point? Would you say? Is that what she even asked? I don't think she asked anything about abortion. No, not at all. <laughs> That's exactly what I was trying to bring up, Mike. It's so, a very direct answer, but not at all what she was asking. Exactly. That's exactly right. She's like, hey, uh, you're rolling out this new plan uh, from pre-existing conditions. And he's like, well, let me just bring up abortion. You're yeah. like... Bro, we weren't even talking about that. Anyways. Late-term abortion. They want to increase funding to Planned Parenthood of America. Now, for our part, I, I would never presume how Judge Amy Coney Barrett would rule on the Supreme Court of the United States, but um, we'll continue to stand strong for the right to life. When you speak about the Supreme Court, though, I think the American people really deserve an answer, Senator Harris. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases 
But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years, if you don't get your way. This is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I. So, go she, ahead, Mike. She continues to not answer that question. Right. I, I remember listening, and, and she did not give a direct answer to that. And he asked, like, Four times. Yeah. And she just kind of beat around the bush and right. never, never said. Now, one thing I do appreciate um, that, that Pence said and also what Glenn Beck said to a stint of they as in the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, really, like you said, it's just uh, a mosh pit of you know bipartisanship, which I don't think our Constitution was intended to have in the first place. But uh, what they did say is like, hey, we've had nine representatives, nine Supreme Court for 150 years. Uh, we should not, uh, in good faith, add any extra Supreme Court seats. That is the reason why they're the Supreme Court. And, and those nine positions are extremely important. And uh, if you add any more seats, then it's going to kind of rig the system. Yeah. Right. That's all that they're saying right now. Anyways, continuing. Thanks, Mike, for bringing that up. I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Yes. Vice President, I'm speaking. What do you think, Mike? <laughs> like, She's avoiding it. Um, yeah. Speaking? I'm speaking. Yeah. In 1864, one of the, I think, political heroes, certainly of the president, I, I assume of you also, Mr. Vice President, is Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election, and it was 27 days before the election and a seat became open on the United States Supreme Court. Abraham Lincoln's party was in charge, not only of the White House, but the Senate. But Honest Abe said, it's not the right thing to do. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. And so Joe and I are very clear. The American people are voting right now and it should be their decision about who will serve on this most important body for a lifetime. Thank you, and, and Senator Harris. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on, gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. American people deserve a straight answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court if they somehow win this election. But, Men and women, I, I, I got to tell you, people across this country, if you cherish our Supreme Court, if you cherish the separation of powers, you need to reject the Biden-Harris ticket. Come November the 3rd, re-elect President Donald Trump, and we'll stand by that separation of powers in a nine-seat Supreme Court. Yep. Um, so, so, yeah, that was just reaffirming uh, the, the nine-seat uh, Supreme Court. What do you think, Mike? She, so, uh, Senator Harris basically says that it's up to the people to vote, uh, to get people, in, you know, to get people into this, into the Supreme Court, but she still never really answered if she's going to add seats or not. Correct. Um, and I, uh, personally, I, I feel like that kind of makes her look bad, but, 
other people may disagree on that. Um, right. Yeah. Um, also, where it is right now, um, it is constitutional for the president to fill in that vacancy. Um, that that's just where it is right now. Now you can get bent about it. You can be frustrated about it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, as of right now, that he does have that capability. And uh, obviously, the Democrats aren't uh, happy about it. We we had a very influential uh, Supreme Court member uh, that that did a lot of good things and is no longer with us. So I think there's there's a lot of emotion behind that. I don't know if they're like trying to latch onto that. Uh, a lot of people are concerned for women's rights. A lot of people are concerned for uh, Planned Parenthood and things like that. So. Um, yeah, it's kind of kind of a shitstorm, <laughs> to, to be honest with you, Mike. Okay, so um, in this debate, uh, there was so much to cover. Uh, this was just a couple of takeaways about the vice presidential debate. If you would like to read the transcript, you can find it with uh, this link. Uh, thank you, Rev.com. And also, if you want to watch the full video uh, of the vice presidential debate, uh, you can also find it uh, here. Uh, also, thank you, CNN. Um, I would want to, before we conclude this, just look at this um, this beginning. So I want to show people uh, about what the standard was that the moderator set up, and then I would like to cover uh, what they uh, answered about an eighth grader question that I found that was extremely important, and then we'll we'll close this uh, podcast. But anyways, uh, here we go. Good evening. From the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, welcome to the first and only vice presidential debate of 2020, sponsored by the Nonpartisan Commission on Presidential Debates. I'm Susan Page of USA Today. It is my honor to moderate this debate, an important part of our democracy. In Kingsbury Hall tonight, we have a small and socially distant audience, and we've taken extra precautions during this pandemic. Among other things, everyone in the audience is required to wear a face mask and the candidates will be seated 12 feet apart. The audience is enthusiastic about their candidates, but they've agreed to express that enthusiasm only twice, at the end of the debate and now when I introduce the candidates. Please welcome California Senator Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence. Senator Harris and Vice President Pence, thank you for being here. The two campaigns and the Commission on Presidential Debates have agreed to the ground rules for tonight. I'm here to enforce them on behalf of the millions of Americans who are watching. One note, no one in either campaign or at the Commission or anywhere else has been told in advance what topics I'll raise or what questions I'll ask. This 90-minute debate will be divided into nine segments of about 10 minutes each. I'll begin a segment by posing a question to each of you, sometimes the same question sometimes a different question on the same topic. You will then have two minutes to answer without interruption by me or the other candidate. Then we'll take six minutes or so to discuss the issue. At that point, although there will always be more to say, we'll move on to the next topic. We want a debate that is lively, but Americans also deserve a discussion that is civil. These are tumultuous times, but we can and will have a respectful exchange about the big issues facing our nation. Okay, so she was pretty direct and very like specific of, hey, I'm gonna ask you a question. If you go over time, uh, time's up, we're moving on. 
uh, don't interrupt. And Mike, I can tell you watching this, I was literally yelling at the television, just shut up, you know? It was crazy. And, and pins wouldn't stop. Or, yeah, or like Harris sometimes. Yeah, it was, it was gnarly, bro. I was, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely everyone, if you're listening to this, it's definitely worth uh, the watch, but the, the information was exceptional. Brecklin Brown. She's an eighth grader at Springville Junior High in Springville, Utah. And here's what she wow. wrote, quote, When I watch the news, all I see is arguing between Democrats and Republicans. When I watch the news, all I see is citizen fighting against citizen. When I watch the news, all I see are two candidates from opposing parties trying to tear each other down. Mike, would you say that that's a fair assessment, that that's what you've seen? I personally never watch the news, but uh, I, that's all I hear about. Okay, yeah. I can tell you uh, there's a lot of uh, information and a lot of battling back and forth. And they're trying to get like a, like a higher ground or what have you. I wasn't anticipating sharing this. I'll share it with uh, our viewers so they can see it. But uh, I had a social media post. Let me, uh, let me see if I can find it, Mike, real quick. It was an observation that I had. Uh, so, are you familiar with the term left-wing and right-wing, basically? Uh, not really. Okay, so, so when you have a left-wing, meaning that they are very, uh, liberal, very, um, democratic views, things like that, right? And then the, the far right is the Republicans or the conservatives. Uh, now you have extremists on either, either side, right? Uh, so what I wrote... So I put, uh, metaphorically, if our country is an aircraft and we have a left wing and a right wing, wouldn't we try to take care of that entire aircraft instead of picking one side? We sure would. Shouldn't we focus on America, like what's better for, for us, right? If we're having like a wing that's disintegrating? Anyways, uh, that was just uh, five cents, but let's continue uh, this um, uh, eighth grader from Springville, Utah. If our leaders can't get along... How are the citizens supposed to get along? And then she added, your examples could make all the difference to bring us together, end quote. So to each of you in turn, I'd like you to take one minute and respond to Brecklin. Vice President Pence, you have one minute. Brecklin, it's a wonderful question. And um, I, I started uh, following the news when I was very young. And in America, we believe in a free and open exchange of debate. Uh, and we celebrate that. And it's how we've created literally the freest and most prosperous nation in the history of the world. And I, 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 I will tell you that um, don't assume that what you're seeing on your local news networks is synonymous with the American people. You know, I look at the relationship between Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late Justice, who we just lost from the Supreme Court, and the late Justice Antonin Scalia. They were on polar opposites on the Supreme Court of the United States, one very liberal, one very conservative. But what's been learned since her passing was the two of them and their families were the very closest of friends. I mean, here in America, we can disagree. We can debate vigorously, as Senator Harris and I have on this stage tonight. But when the debate is over, we come together as Americans. And that's what people do in big cities and small towns all across this country. So I just want to encourage you, Brecklin. I, I want to tell you that um, we're, we're going to work every day to have government as good as our people, and the American people each and every day. Love a good debate. 
We love a good argument, but we always come together and are always there for one another. Thank you. In times of need, and we've especially learned that Thank through you, the Price difficulties of this year. Senator Harris, what would you say to Brooklyn? Um, first of all, I, I'd love hearing from our young leaders. And when I hear her words, when I hear your words, Brecklin, um, I know our future is bright because it is that perspective on who we are and who we should be um, that is a sign of leadership and is something we should all aspire to be. Um, and that, you know, that brings me to Joe. Joe Biden, one of the reasons that Joe decided to run for president is after Charlottesville, which we talked about earlier. Um, it so troubled him and upset him like it did all of us that there was that kind of hate and division. Um, what propelled Joe to run for president was to see that over the course of the last four years, what Brecklin described has been happening. Joe has a long-standing reputation of working across the aisle and working in a bipartisan way. Uh, and that's what he's going to do as president. Joe Biden has a history of lifting people up and fighting for their dignity. I mean, you have to know Joe's story to know that Joe has known pain, he has known suffering, and he has known love. And so, Brecklin, when you think about the future, I do believe the future is bright. And it will be because of your leadership, and it will be because we fight for each person's voice through their vote, and we get engaged in this election because you have the ability through your work and through eventually your vote Thank you, to Senator determine Harris. the future of our country and what its leadership looks like. Thank you, Senator Harris. Thank you, Vice What do you think, Mike? I feel like both of them gave good answers. Um, I liked that Pence said that we could still come together as Americans despite our differences. And that's what we should do. Amen. No, uh, I, I completely agree. I, I don't think we're intended to hate each other other than uh, have two political platforms that are trying to have you vote one way or the other and slander each other. Yeah. Definitely. We can have our differences, but in the end, we're all Americans. We all should support one another and work through the differences the best we can. Um, then Senator Harris, because she basically is just kind of expressing that she's for, um, she wants a bright future and she wants Americans to get along and she recognizes that there's these problems. Right, and, differences and, and so forth. And and she wants to find ways to kind of help with that. So I, I don't know that either answer was better one over the other, in my opinion. Other people would probably disagree, but I felt like they just both gave solid answers. Yeah. Um, what I really appreciated uh, the most uh, with that was the moderator uh, found a question from an eighth grader uh, and had a very a reasonable question. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Americans think or, or how they feel. Uh, it's really disheartening for me to be in a bipartisan system and then knowing that there's not really a good option to have an independent party. I am a libertarian. Um, I, I would love to to have another independent uh, office. Uh, where we're at right now from the Electoral College and uh, where we're at with our local governments, uh, we definitely need to start from the bottom, start from the foundation. Uh, as Rise Against would say, uh, do you care to be the layer 
uh, of the bricks to seal your fate, or would you rather be the architect of what we might create? Uh, that is the bright future. We need to uh, be making uh, you, you progress forward, and we need to be the people to, to do that. Anyways, that's my uh, perspective on it. So, um, Anyways, so I think that concludes uh, our, our podcast. Mike, did you have any uh, takeaways or anything that while we're closing up? Um, one more thought I had about that eighth grader question. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize this earlier, but I'm just now realizing I think that is the only question... I, I could be wrong, but I think that is the only question in the entire debate that both candidates answered like directly and didn't like go off topic. Yeah. Uh, so when I was <laughs> trying to trying to say this as as uh, reasonably as I can, I think that that there were times that they did make uh, valid points, but as far as both of them simultaneously at the same time, I feel like I need to agree with you, like. We needed to have a uh, humanitarian feeling for these two politicians from these two different um, parties to actually have a reasonable, you know, thing at that exact same time instead of, um, you know, slandering or attacking or or making a, a valid point and then the other not or vice versa. So, um yeah, I would agree with that, Mike. That's a very reasonable takeaway. That's a very valid point. Yeah, no, uh, that, that's kind of my, yeah, just something that I noticed. But uh, overall, I don't personally have a big opinion on who everybody's going to vote for. I mean, right. I'll have who I'm going to vote for. You'll vote for who you want to vote sure. for. But I think in the end, if we can just do what uh, uh, Mike Pence was saying in there and just do our best to come together as Americans, despite whatever the outcome is in the election. As right. long as we can try and come together as Americans, I think that we can make the country a better place. I mean, we are the people, and the president and whoever wins will have a lot of things that they'll do that affect our country, but definitely, we're the people, and we can affect it too. Right. No, that, that, very well said, Mike. I think sometimes people think of, oh, well, um, if you don't vote it doesn't really make a difference i think it definitely does make a huge difference and uh i would love for us to be able to uh, work together uh, i think a lot of these bills that we've been doing lately have really been beneficial for one party and then we just kind of push it in uh legislation so uh like the care act and the care Act 2.0 that we're about to look at like we we didn't have oversight uh, on that uh, we had an epa uh, gentleman that was regulating um, the oversight of the uh, uh, CARE Act as well as the EPA at that time. Uh, we said it was to be determined. We don't really know the numbers in the private sector. The well ran dry and now we're doing it again. And we looked at the national debt clock and it's scary. And I don't know. It's like It's like we're digging ourselves a hole. And it's really sad. It gives me a lot of anxiety. I'm not saying that there is a better option, but I think that maybe we could have better management on it. Yeah, sure. That's about it for me. Okay. Uh, well, thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to our podcast. Uh, we appreciate you uh, being with us, and we hope you have a great night. 
Take care, guys. Thank you for supporting our podcast. If you would like to check out our sources from today's episode, please visit our blog at soberdiscussions.blogspot.com. And if you would like to join the discussion, email us at soberdiscussions at gmail.com.